a long time ago on a comics page far, far away. Greetings and welcome to May the Panel Be With You, the Star Wars comic book show brought to you by the Punch-Up Entertainment Network. I am your humble host, Mike Gargoni, and joining me, as always, the thousands of voices crying out in panic only to be suddenly silenced, it's John Campbell. Yes, hello everybody. Mm. Uh, well, here we go, Gargoni, back again. To th we just can't get away from this specific story. <laughs> Look... When you have a story as impactful as Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, or as it was originally titled when it was released in theaters, Star Wars, uh, <laughs> you, you can't yes. get away from uh, people trying to tell this story over and over again in a bunch of different formats. And yes. I think comic books, having done three of these now, is uh, yep. no exception. And... We're covering, yeah, another adaptation of A New Hope, but this time it is the manga version of it. Yes, I mean, I will say I'm glad that the, it's it's a, it's certainly a change of pace, right? Like uh, than uh, than what we've seen before with sort of uh, I would say both of the other versions we've done have been cash grabs of a sort. And look, make no mistake, I think this is also a cash grab, but it is a cash grab well, yeah, that I is mean... also like has a purpose as, like, an adaptation in a specific style and genre is the wrong word because a lot of people lump manga in as a genre and it's really not. Right. It's a medium. Well, it's the same thing. People do the same thing with comic books, right? And they when they say that, they're talking about superheroes. Right. And that's, you know, not entirely what... Uh, the, the, that's really diminishing to the medium. But... Yeah, I will say the thing that that struck me about this, and we were talking about doing this, uh, and we were talking about doing it as one episode or two episodes, or how we're we going to do this, and we ended up splitting into two episodes, which we'll be doing, was because I was reading this uh, the other day and going, I want to dig a little bit deeper into this than just devoting an episode, simply because this is the most interesting to me in terms of like it it has more of a take mm -hmm. than either of the other ones. Uh, the, the 70s one is so slapdash. We talked about, you know, we're inconsistent in the art. The, the, the one in the 90s was so much an attempt, like a, a shameless cat right. grab. And, and this one is like, okay, this is clearly, as you're talking about, this is a translation of sorts into another culture's medium, uh, and, an art style of something that there's clearly a lot of passion for. And, that being said, there's this is just probably the most interesting adaptation of the of the three we've absolutely done for sure. And I hesitate to say this, but I also don't. I think it's the best of the three. I mean, well, once again, because it's it's. I think that's true. Not only is it in format alone able to have a little bit more room to breathe and to capture some of more of the moments of it. But like we're talking about, it's a it's an actual take. By bringing it into this very specific style, it doesn't feel like it's trying to replicate the movie experience the way that the other mm -hmm. ones did, because that that's just set up for failure. Here is I'm going, oh, this is actually... I was reading this going, oh, interesting that that's this translation uh, of this sequence or this character, or the way something's rendered... As opposed to particularly the 90s one just going like, well, this is just a shittier version. <laughs> Why am I not just watching the movie? You, know, you keep like... saying 90s version, but I should point out that, yeah, today we're covering Star Wars A New Hope uh, hyphen manga, number one and number two. Uh, these were originally yeah. produced by Dark Horse Comics, and they were published, uh, at least this first issue was July 15th, 1998. So honestly, not that far off not, from the adaptation we covered before. After, yeah. Yeah, the special edition adaptation that we did, uh, the the that was from Dark Horse, uh, uh, that was real felt felt real, uh, very much an afterthought. Yeah. Uh, in terms of our creative team behind this, um, I want to start with the English side of this, which are mostly uh, Dark Horse people. Um, we got our cover artist right. in Adam Warren. We'll get to the covers here in a minute. Um, Adam Warren of Empowered Fame, I think is probably the book he's best known for, um, which sure. will explain 
why Princess Leia looks the way she does in this cover when we get to it. <laughs> um, yes. We've got uh, letters, I guess the the English letters, uh, done by Tom Orzakowski, edited by uh, Carrie Granzini, and we've got our designer in David Land. I want to point out the designer yeah. here specifically because of how this book is adapted and changed, specifically for English audiences. Um there's a note about it in the issue if you read it on Marvel. Yeah, Unlimited. and we'll get to that, and I want to talk about it a little bit. But specifically, we have as our creator uh, Hiseo Tamaki, which, despite our best efforts, we actually did put in a little bit of research time in this yeah. because yeah. we were trying to dig a little bit into the, the manga artist behind this book and determine who they are, what they've done before, you know, doing our due diligence a little bit on this show. <laughs> God forbid. We could find scarce little about Hiseo Tamaki. So I'm going to move forward making certain assumptions about them as an author. Specifically, I'm using the collective uh, pronoun them, not because I don't want to differentiate them as a, a gender, but because I truly believe this is probably done by a team of people. Because that is not uncommon in manga circles. And usually they will have some collective pen name that refers to multiple Mm. people working on a book. Uh, We've even Mm. seen that in certain American uh, audiences. If you're familiar with the work of Gira Hero, that is an art team that works on those books like Unbelievable Gwenpool and uh, Superman Smashes the Clan. They've done a ton of stuff. Yeah. So that's, I would say, based on what scans evidence we could find, that is probably the most likely scenario. If you happen to know, please write in and let us know. We're recording ahead, so that will just be for our own notification if we don't address that next week. But look, (laughs) but we we always want to know. Of the two of us, I'm probably the, not probably, I am the more well-read in terms of manga and like (laughs) Japanese novels and comic books just to begin with. Sure. but even my knowledge like pales into comparison to the true otakus out there who like live for this stuff and who is probably the right. target audience for this book. For sure. I remember seeing this book around when it came out and uh, pretty much ignoring it <laughs> uh, because, well, I mean, it just, the I am not drawn to this particular style of comic books or this art mm-hmm. style that I'm on the record. I don't besmirch anyone who is. But also just in general, too, uh, as we've talked about before, I just don't get the appeal of these translations of uh, uh, other media into comic, like the direct adaptation stuff. As sure. Much. And so like it sort of feels like, well, I've seen yeah. the movie. So I pick this up. I go, hey, Star Wars characters. Oh, they're just doing a new hope. Put it back down. <laughs> and that's totally fair. As opposed to something like Star Wars Visions, the uh, show we've gotten right. over the last few years, which is specifically animation teams from around the world. The first season was exclusively Japan, but season two sort of broadened that aperture. Bringing their own artistic take to original Star Wars stories, this was squarely yep. an adaptation of something you were already familiar with. So there's always sort of a like, uh, well, I've done that, uh, sure. you know, or I know, I know what this is going to be, so I put it down. Now, what's interesting is, is this show has uh, made me, you know, uh, go back and, and look at these adaptations, and it is interesting now to look at them in isolation uh, against one another. And yes, be I said I think this is the most creative of the bunch in that sense of it it feels the most like oh yeah yeah this is not trying to replicate the film experience it doesn't have the particularly that uh, 97 dark horse mm-hmm. one really was trying to do very realistic very to the point where you're just going like well I'll just watch the movie then like uh i i it, it this it doesn't have the thing where it's like ah this is this feels like somebody watching the movie and then interpreting it into a certain yeah and i think those are maybe the more interesting uh, adaptations that you might see is that interpretation sure. into another medium or another uh, just art style in general and how those cultural sensibilities reflect on a story that we're so familiar with and I think this is a great example right. of that 
Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So let's let's get to that cover. And um, yeah, if you're watching us on YouTube, feel free to uh, look along at the pretty art because we start with this Adam Warren cover here uh, that I think is indicative of what you're going to be getting for the rest of this book. And that is a very anime stylized uh, take on Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Princess Leia, and I mean Darth Vader. You can't really futz with too much, but. No, he's a little bit more rounded out here. He's a little bit, little bit more cartoonish. Yeah, just in the translation to a drawing, but not. Yeah, he's pretty classic. But then a very realistic Death Star. Yeah, and we'll get into some of the like highly detailed realism that they're going for in terms of like the ship drawings here, because there's some really impressive yeah. stuff. Oh, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And then the, there's an interesting dichotomy in. How cartoonish the character design is, but yet how real world the 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 world around. And that is a classic thing you will see in lots of anime and manga is like hyper detailed yeah. backgrounds uh, to the point where, especially if you look like something that I think a lot of Western audiences have been exposed to at this point is Miyazaki films and Studio Ghibli, and just sure. how lovingly rendered the background art and details are to the point where you can tell what parts are being animated and what is just a painting based on like how stuff is presented on the screen and like where the animation lines are and like okay that stuff in the background's never gonna move it's just painted onto the background and they're not trying to make it seem seamlessly blend together it's part of the art style is just how stark in contrast some of that detail is mm, yes uh so yeah it'll, uh, let's let's dive in i mean the, the the i will say this is more aggressively manga or anime than the book i feel like itself is it's really which i guess in some ways is 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 right for the cover right because it is telling you this is manga Right, and it's getting you right off the bat of just like, look, if this is what you're looking for, this is what you're going to get. If this isn't what you're looking for, yeah. back away now and put it down, John Campbell. <laughs> yep, that was it. Uh, so let's, let's dive let's into it. Into so yeah, uh, we got uh, the Star Wars uh, listed as issue number one, Star Wars A New Hope. It says this all in Japanese, though, so I'm sure most of our readers and listeners can't actually read that. And quite frankly, neither can I beyond the first line and the last line. I just assume based on context that's what it said. And then, of course, though, it helps that when you turn the page, there it is. There in it English. is in English. Uh, though this is the credits as presented in the uh, Marvel reissue of this. So you have people like well, Joe Quesada and Dan Buckley listed as editors when they had really nothing to do with the production of this book. No. And then we get our note here uh, when we go through the that we go we get our note here about the fact that yes uh, the Japanese pr uh, printing of this would go right to left as opposed to left to right so they've not only translated but as they're pointing out here they've basically flipped all they've the panels. mirrored all the panels which can lead to a few instances in this book of like where your eye line should be going from panel to panel a little bit of confusion um, I think yeah. there are a few instances in the. They're not, they're rare and few and far between, but there are a few instances in which, I, yeah. like, the panel order, how they're supposed to be read, are sort of screwed up by that fact. Mm, yeah, I I didn't struggle too much with that on this, but yes, that certainly is uh, in the translation of this stuff. Because a lot of people, when they pick up uh, manga comics, are, are, would be surprised that they, they start from what we would say is the end of the book backwards. Right. Uh, another thing you're going to notice when you're reading a comic that is an adaptation of a Japanese manga is how much space is in speech bubbles, depending on what's being said and what's uh, being translated. Because if you'll notice on this page, they show off that the, the Japanese characters are written from right to left and from up to down. So the amount of space that right. is taken up by their speech bubbles changes pretty radically depending on what they're saying and where. And you'll even see some differences in the speech bubbles to where you have these real... I mean, this I think these two panels are a perfect example of this. In what 3PO is saying in this panel, you've got the one big speech bubble on the right and then several sequential speech bubbles that have been edited into mirrored, flipped, and this really janky like combining of a bunch of the speech bubbles to make sure, f make room for the English words that are going to be in there. Sure. I mean, it's always a, you know, any translation of anything, 
in any medium, there's always discussions about the best way to do it. I mean, people talk about subtitles in movies and stuff like that. And I've seen different approaches to it. You know, for the most part, they're pretty standard subtitles. But I've seen here and there people try to do more stuff with it. Uh, I mean, it just it goes to paint an interesting picture that it's not literally just the words that are different. And particularly when you're dealing in Japanese or something like that, that has a whole different alphabet as well and a different way that your eye is moving down the page. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to address all those things if you want to bring this to an American. No, way. absolutely. And the only thing I take like real umbrage with in terms of these sorts of translation is the flipping from the right to left to left to right. I think that like mm. genuinely messes with the intention of the artist in terms of how they laid out the panels. Um, I mean, it does, and I and I, that, I I see both sides of that, right? Like, because I also see the thing where it's like it's so. I mean, you'd have to train yourself, right, to to do it. Yeah, good, and as a guy know, who's read to, manga for most of his life, maybe I am a little bit more experienced on being able to read that sort of thing, like. Because I think yeah. the other thing, particularly with something like this, they're trying to appeal to a larger audience of just Star Wars fans. They're not just pitching to the manga audience that like would pick up a, a volume of uh, uh, My Hero Academia or mm-hmm. whatever. No, and look, I will be the first to say that it is an acquired skill that reading from right to left is something you have to sort of pick up on. And the same thing when people talk about subtitles yeah. in movies, because while I don't read a lot of manga, I do watch a lot of films in foreign languages. Because <laughs> that sounds very hidey-toidy <laughs> of me there. I don't watch a lot of films in foreign languages. Um, but uh, but no, it's it's just a thing where you start to start to go like, oh, I don't really have a problem with it, but I watch enough mm. that the, the sub- it all kind of blends together. It's very easy. Yeah. Same thing with comic books. Even even American comic books. People go like, oh no, do I look at the words or the pictures? And I think you would answer the same thing as I do. Is like. Both. I don't the answer know. is like, yes. It's just second nature. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just second nature to us to be able to absorb that kind of yeah. format. Uh, but anyway, that's my brief soapbox on the art of translation. It's fascinating yeah. to see. You know, I mean, and I get like, I mean, you bring up any of this stuff, and you get into European comics, and it's a, it's not the same stuff, but it's a similar thing about how do we translate? You're translating across cultures more as much as you are translating across languages. I will say what benefits the translation here more than anything is the fact that it is not being translated wholly from Japanese. It is an English text being translated into Japanese back into English. So they have the original Star Wars script to fall back on in terms of how they're translating this, which is super helpful. For sure. Um, So let's dive into the book here. It's a long time ago in a galaxy far, yes, far indeed. away. Yes, indeed. Star Wars. So here is our first uh, little double-page spread. We're going to be getting a few of these. And for those watching along on YouTube, bear with me as I'm kind of editing on the fly to show off these double-page spreads. In our usual layout, we have the single page right in the middle of the two of our beautiful faces. But now we've got this yeah. much wider uh, panoscopic view we've got to show off because, yeah, here is Star Wars with all of our characters. We know what we're getting. We're getting Luke. We're getting Leia. We're getting the droids. We're getting Tarkin. Vader, old Ben, and Han and Chewie all within the logo. I love the layout of this. Very cool. I actually, uh, it's one of those things where it's like, uh, for, aside from the art style, like that, just you could do this with American art and do the Star Wars logo like this, and I'd be, I'd be cool with that. Han Solo is an iconic thumbs up. Yeah, what? you know, Han Solo and all of his thumbs ups that he gives. <laughs> <laughs> Constantly. It's his most, uh, you know, whatever. So this is, uh, we go to the next page with our crawl, mm-hmm. which is just the one, it's from, the one the from the movie. Yeah, we know the crawl. We're going to be blazing through the pages here because, like, we all know Star Wars. We'll stop and highlight some of, like, the really exceptional art here. But, like, we've done this yeah. in New Hope adaptation quite a few times. We don't want to linger on every single page. This, these are also very long. Yes. Um, but they do move because a lot of it, there's there's a, there's a, a sense of momentum to this in a way that says you know the movie, but it isn't doing it in the hand-wavy mm-hmm. manner of, uh, of of that 97 special edition one. Um, but there is definitely a, like, uh, you can you can speed through this in a certain way. And then, yes, what, what's good about that is you then do stop when you go, oh, now that's an interesting render of that. Because you're kind of rolling along going, oh, it's the movie I know. But, but hey, that's kind of an interesting take on Darth yeah. Vader. Um, or the framing of certain scenes that... Like, the word I kept using during the special edition uh, adaptation is perfunctory. This feels anything but perfunctory. Mm-hmm. This feels lavishing in a lot of ways. 
yeah, yeah. This, this feels like a loving tribute to this feels like it's made by people who love the movie and want to translate it in this way and that's why i do think i i enjoyed this the most because it simply seemed to have the most passion yeah. in it uh so we start so with our starfield yeah, and our... interestingly enough we get ourselves right back down onto tatooine because we can never escape tatooine in a scene that is famously <laughs> cut from the original movie where luke is seeing the pursuit of the the tantive four being chased by the star destroyer at the beginning of the movie so we don't mm -hmm. even get but, the classic like over the shoulder shot of the ships in this adaptation, which I found interesting. Right, right. We start with Luke, which is, I mean, there's an argument that this maybe should have been included in the movie, if only to establish Luke as our protagonist, mm -hmm. right? Um, but so yeah, you know, we 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 we're sort of connecting the guy on the ground with the with the battle and the stars. Yeah. Um. So I, I just found it interesting that this particular adaptation leans into the, like, Luke's life tying him to Tatooine a lot more in ways that, like, mm -hmm. yeah, the the 70s adaptation had that stuff in there, but it didn't feel right. as, I don't know, connective as it maybe was meant to. Well, they consciously are doing it yeah. here, right? Whereas in the 70s version, they didn't know those scenes weren't going to be in True. the final cut. So I do think there's more of a, a, this is a choice by the authors of this mm -hmm. to go, we want to connect this. So we're doing that for a reason. They've thought about why they're doing that. In that, they were still being perfunctory. It's just now in retrospect that those scenes aren't in the movie that it seems like, whoa, that's mm -hmm. weird. Um, so yeah, we get this, our next big two-page spread is this huge shot of the Tantive Four being chased by the Star Destroyer, not from the over-the-shoulder, but from a head-on perspective. And it is very cool and very, like, intense. Look at the, the amount of, like, fire and, I mean, certainly, you know, this is all in black and white, obviously, which we've never, all the other stuff we've done has been in color to varying degrees. Which is kind uh, of a, a manga staple specific it's one of those things like a lot of art styles that started as a cost saving thing and then eventually right. just became part of the style because uh manga as opposed to american comics are usually produced weekly um so you will have books coming out at an incredibly rapid rate and so you just don't have time to color a lot of these books this is true, and I think the but the thing about this is that actually to in this case further adds to what I'm talking about, where it feels like this is a new take on it. We're seeing it in black and white. It has an evocativeness that's different than we've seen from other comics, and the movies we're familiar with that are in color. Of course, you're going like, "Whoa, I'm seeing this Star Destroyer," and the way the flames are coming off of this and stuff like that, and the explosion of it and the planets and everything. Um, and it just, yeah, it, it, there's there's something instantly captivating about seeing images that you know in a way you haven't seen them right. before. And we are immediately uh, thrown into just like a little bit more how expressive this book is going to be when we get our first two little panels showing off R2 and 3PO as they're being tossed around mm -hmm. as people are running back and forth inside the ship and they're uh, commenting on how this is madness. Well, it's interesting too that the just looking at this page with 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 uh, three PO and R two and then the the rebel soldiers is how even though these books are longer and and ultimately have more time and page count in them than other look at how much faster just in this one panel of these rebel soldiers moving around uh, the speed and intensity which is definitely something I think of in both anime and manga is obviously sort of the classic speed lines the classic anime sure. thing of the of the world swirling past and again that but just in general, like was originally a cost-saving thing so they didn't have to draw the backgrounds right? while characters are moving but I'm saying there's such a there's such there's such more energy yeah. in this than in sort of the flatly stated uh, uh, other version which was trying to save time but here it just feels like I mean the the this whole progression of of this up to then the exploding door on the next page uh love the talk about the high detail on this uh, stormtrooper's rifle. Yeah, like we get to this page where the stormtroopers burst in. There's the thoom. I love all of the uh, the sound effects done on this page um, and throughout. Obviously, these are a lot of uh, Orzakowski's work in this because um, mm -hmm. a lot of these are in English where they wouldn't be otherwise. And some of them would have been in English originally, but some of them absolutely weren't like these zats zats. And Orzakowski has been doing a lot of the 70s stuff that we yeah so that's reading. a nice through line of star wars comics yeah. um 
but yeah, these are all great. Uh, I often bag on the uh, the the sound effects in the '70s books, but I love all these. A great thum, the zat zat, the the you know zit zit zit. Like, the, how do you portray the sound of a laser blast? And and you know, this is it works. And I love this next page with Vader's entrance. The idea Absolutely. that we get like our first introduction of Darth Vader in this particular art style context, and he is just this wall of black entering the middle of the page and showing off like he's a head taller in this adaptation than everybody else. He has to duck under the door to get into this place. Well, the, I mean, immediately, the just the cinematic nature of this compared to some of the other stuff we've done, the way it's the first thing we see is just the top of his helmet. And then it goes to the wide shot before it punches in on this close-up of him. It really does a lot to... The kind of thing I'm talking about often in the other adaptations is like, okay, comics can't be movies, so you can't introduce character, but it's like, oftentimes it's just kind of like, well, there you go, there's Darth Vader, you know what he looks like. This is actually thinking about how are we introducing this character as if you're seeing him for the first time in this movie. Yeah, exactly. And obviously you can't futz with Vader's design too much. He's always going to be Darth Vader, but the way they show him off in shadows and the detailing in the line work, I think is just really, really good. Definitely has this sort of specter of doom kind of uh, vibe to him in this that I love the way, yeah, the way that his body just kind of melts into shadow in its lower Mm -hmm. half. Very cool. Very scary. And we'll get some excellent Vader art later in this issue too. Yeah, and then just when we go to the next page, just more chaos of. I mean, <laughs> you know, they're 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 being more expressionistic. They're not directly translated in the movie. There aren't this many laser blasts with three PO dodging by them and right. stuff like that. But they're really creating the feeling of three PO running through this massacre. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that is what's happening in the movie. But it's not necessarily as condensed as it's portrayed in this, which is that's yeah. that's what I mean. Yeah, the very. The, the the choices of each thing and there's also just stuff in here like this shot where three PO is falling away from an explosion of some sort that I just don't think you could do in that Anthony Daniels. No, or costume. crawling along the ground as he is in that middle panel. Yeah. Yeah. But we get the classic and this is something I don't think was in either of the other adaptations, that classic like tableau of Leia leaning in towards R two is so recreated here at the bottom of this page. Gotta be in the top ten most iconic images in all of Star Wars, right? It's certainly uh, up there. And also knowing that there's no dialogue. That's the other thing, too. The This book, more than, than the other ones we've seen, will let the action just carry mm-hmm. itself. Yeah, and they're not uh, trying to describe what's being is. shown on the page, which is such a sin yeah, of American yeah. comics and isn't done as much in manga. It certainly is something American comics have been uh, getting away from over the course of many decades. But by God, particularly in the 70s stuff we read, my God, the constant just like, no, 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 no. You got to tell them what's going on. Uh, what do you think? Just let it action hurt. This is our first introduction to Leia. And on this next page here, we have yeah. her like hiding from the stormtroopers. What do you think of how yeah. this character looks? I'd be interested to get your take. I mean, it, it's... <laughs> It's very what I think of as a manga drawing of of, of a girl. Big right? eyes, like, small nose, small uh, mouth. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, it, it, so let me say it's like it's kind of what I expected her to look mm. like. Uh, I think the interesting thing about it is they've given her this hair that comes down uh, under the bun. Like she's got the buns in the movie. It's the buns are all of her hair rolled up into those. Here, there's more hair falling, which I think is kind of an interesting. Plus, choice. the bangs are like given this weird peak yeah. in the middle. Yeah. I, I I don't I don't have any uh, I d- I don't know what the thinking behind that was. But, Just a, uh, a different design take. Obviously, like each yeah. of our main triumvirate of characters have like a a manga take in this book, and yes. I I want to stop sure. on when we get introduced to each of them to kind of yeah. uh, note the differences and like note the the style changes. I guess. Yeah, I mean, like I said, this is kind of what I think of as manga, and you know. It's reductionist, I know, but I mean, certainly something that uh, turns me off as a as a reader of manga is a lot of stuff kind of looks the same from the outset. And I want to state that once again, because I know people love this stuff and I'm not besmirching it, but like when you look at the wall of the books at like a Barnes and Noble in the manga section, 
it all kind of looks the same to me in its presentation. Sure, and that's a matter of, like, experience, how much you've spent time with it, and, like, knowing what details to look for, because the same could be said for Western superhero comics. I have no doubt. Like I said, that's just from my perspective of it. And also, and I'm sure the same thing, once again, it's just I grew up within it, is there's 800 volumes of everything. But totally somebody could say that about Spider-Man, but I'd be like, what are you talking about? Because... It's all just the context right. we have. Uh, we get our next good Vader moment here where he's snapping the neck. I love all the Vader neck snapping in this issue. <laughs> it, it's, Vader is, uh, yeah, really, absolutely brutal in this yeah. thing. Um, the fact that we get an actual snap as a, 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 a word, you know, a, a sound mm-hmm. effect, good yeah. lord. And him just, like, tossing um, the corpse to the ground. Yeah. Uh. And, like, the way this guy is getting choked and the sweat pouring off of him. And I just love all the expressionistic touches. Anytime the book goes away from some of the the more, uh, like, uh, true-to-movie details and goes into, like, I'm, we're just going to capture the vibe of something, I think really makes this the the adaptation. I would If you're going to read one comic adaptation, I would say it's this Well, one. and that's what I think manga excels at, is catching the vibe of a thing. The art isn't meant to be taken literally. It's meant to be taken, like, expressionistically in terms of the emotions it's trying to convey yeah. a lot of times. And it does that through and exaggeration and through, like, o- overt amounts of detail. And I think we've seen a lot more of that as comics, uh, American comics and Western comics in general have have progressed is you've started to see a lot more of that influence in it. Also in animation totally. too, right? Like there's definitely, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the whole idea of the, they're, they're ever intertwining, right? The, the, the Japanese and Western animation and, and they're taking influence from one another. Absolutely. So, you know, I think, I think the, the barrier between them is, is shrinking all the time. Uh, we get Leia getting stunned. We get the droids escaping. Um, I, Really, really like this next double page spread we get to uh, as we get all of the the details of this wide shot of hurtling down towards Tatooine. And also, Mm -hmm. like, we have this big empty, not empty, but like big spacious rendering of the escape pod. All the while we have that first interaction between Vader and Leia down at the bottom of the page. I think it's a good counterpoint to each other in terms of uh, page layout and design. I don't mean to keep harping on the the other comic, but it is sort of it's hard because we just that's the most recent adaptation sure. we did, and the thing about this is the cross cutting and this this kind of stuff makes so much more sense than when they would just randomly put like a couple panels where it's like oh we got to put in some Vader dialogue can we just jam two panels of Vader on the Death Star into the middle of this other scene you're like wait what this flows so naturally like I said there is a cinematic. Uh, a structure to this. I mean, it, it is literally adapting a movie, but as we've seen before, that doesn't necessarily lead to a cinematic experience in a comic book, but this is so smartly edited, like a movie, in terms of, like, we're going to cut here, place here. I mean, the the we talk about this a lot, the, the placement of and sizing and layout of a page is so important to a comic book. It's kind of an invisible yeah. art until you see it done uh, well, and specifically juxtaposing one done poorly with one done well. It makes the mm-hmm. differences so much more clear. This does some great inserts of these close-ups, too. Like, when you just have over in the left-hand corner of this double-spade spread of that little close-up of Leia. It just, you know, I don't know where... The, it feels like the, the reverse angle in a movie, right? It's like, here comes Vader walking, cut to... Leia's reaction, cut to the two shots. Well, and we cut to the next page, which is also another double-page spread, where the vast majority of the background is taken up by just this lovingly detailed shot of the Star Destroyer, and all the panels around it are showing us the action happening inside. Uh, Once again, something that I... It, it doesn't have that random cutaway to the outside that I was complaining about in that <laughs> wheel thing where you're like, it's, it's placing all of this within the context of we're getting an exterior shot, but all of the panels are connected to it. So you get in the sense of all this is happening mm-hmm. there. Uh, I do. And also you talk about expressionistic, the, the, the terror of this sort of visualizing the force or whatever around Vader. Yeah. You are part of the rebel Alliance and a traitor. Take her away. Yeah. Whereas in, in, in the movie, Vader. you just have David Prowse kind of gesturing inside the Vader suit mm-hmm. here. You like, it is a moment of doom as Vader is underlit by the force, yeah. 
Yeah, this really portrays him as this horror like monster movie character, which mm-hmm. I love. And and doing the all black, but then making his eyes white in that. Um, very cool. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like if you're gonna move it to a a drawing based medium, this is really taking advantage of like, oh, we can do things that a movie just wouldn't be capable. Speaking of. of taking advantage, we're sticking with our double page spreads here. When we cut down to Tatooine and the droids. We've complained often that, like, one of the things you could probably trim down in A New Hope is the droids wandering around the desert bits. And it's 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 one of those things where it's like, dude, it's a masterpiece. The movie is obviously amazing. That could lose five minutes and probably be a better movie as a result. Of and it. I think this book has its cake and eats it too, because it's definitely longer than the wandering around bits we got in the special edition adaptation, but it cuts it down while also giving us this sense of space and wasteland in Tatooine, especially on this first double page where we have like the whole background is just the open vacuous desert. And then we get the insert panels of R2 and 3PO bickering. I don't. I think this is the first comic we've done on the show that shows the expanse of that, the endless desert that the movie captures because they actually went out to Tunisia right. and filmed like out where they shot Lawrence of Arabia and stuff like that. Uh, and it has that like just yeah, you're just like there's nothing around, and these two little figures uh, of these little droids. I like every time they they keep it pretty wide on most of these panels to show they are just these two little beings within this massed em- you know this mass empty desert and you're like where are these things where are they going to go how are they going to survive um and this page is definitely where we start seeing just how kind of expressionistic this can get especially where droids are concerned because something we've already complained about in the past i don't know if complained is the right word but definitely remarked on in the past is how weird they can deform 3po's face to try to express emotions and this book doesn't do that to the same extent because it does it in different ways. The way it shows expressionistic things with the droids is by adding like sweat lines and little emojis and little things around the droids that express what they're feeling and how they're reacting to things without actually changing the form. I think it's on the next page where you have 3PO uh, panic, panic waving his hands. Yeah, when we get to that scene where he's just like, over here, over here. Yeah, and it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't think he is violently gesturing like this in the movie. Once again, the limits of the costume. But, like, that is the feeling, the expressionistic nature mm-hmm. of it. Is like, oh, yeah, it's this thing. And it's just the, the, the motion of it. And choosing when to have the detail in his face or when we go out wide and there's less detail on his mm-hmm. face. All that stuff is great in terms of, yeah, not... You are adding expression to 3PO, but not doing things where you're messing up his face and going, well, 3PO's face doesn't really change. And even if this is an expressionistic medium, you're now taking him off model. And what they do with R2 in terms of adding little, like, sweat lines, or like I said, having him speak an emoji, I think is really clever. Because, like, we all know what R2 sounds like in our heads. You don't even necessarily need to have the sounds in a speech bubble. Just say what those sounds are expressing. When we get the little, like, like the the sad R2 noise, just having the little teardrop in the speech bubble perfectly conveys that sound in my brain. Mm Mm-hmm. And so we get uh, we get R two wandering down to the rocks. Of course, we get the Jawas taking them. I love the portrayal of the Jawas and all the just like <laughs> you know. We get a we get a a Utini. Yeah. Ooh, is that a new I word? don't know. Adding a Y to the beginning of Utini weirded me out a little bit. Oh, yeah, I I I, I see I where mean, it's coming from, yeah. but yeah, but it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do like the yeah, damn it, damn it, wah, 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 wah. like because that is just like the nonsense sounds they're making. Well, it's, what I love in comics is when you do like this, where there's all this stuff. It's like you're not meant to sit there and go, "That one's saying damn it." That one's saying, it's just like, "What are you just getting the cacophony yeah. noise in this group of them?" And then the way even that the word bubbles kind of stop being word bubbles, and they're just these emanations of words coming from them as they're walking away. It's like you're not when they're walking, mm-hmm. you know, very so, smart w- stuff like that. And then beautiful rendering of the oh, I love how the sand crawler looks in this book uh such fine detail in terms of just like th- that that is what it looks like in the movie we all know it this is what in the movie but it's the shading of it it's the coloring of it the shadows of it that make it feel 
huge and imposing in this very art. Like I, I want I this just this wide shot. I would put this up as a piece of art of just the big sand crawler, totally. the single panel. Yeah. That, that that is a very cool. And then the little beans going carrying art. And into it. like that, we've covered our droids lost in the desert bit in four pages. Great. Yeah, and it's. And it's all very well done. All of it, but it's the thing where it's like all of the all of the stuff that's in the movie is there, and they've done it very succinctly. And yet, it doesn't because these are longer. It doesn't feel like, ah, eh, we just gotta get, get through right. this once again. It, it's all it's all very smartly done. And then the uh, and this is something that I feel like manga and anime have been very good at is the horrors of these destroyed robots. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the. Stuff I've seen is uh, messed up robots and things like that is pretty common in this stuff. So, man, this is the scariest thing I've seen of like the scraps of robots inside the sand scroll. Uh, sand and crawler. it kind of does that that bit in the movie where three PO lurches out of the junk and R two is like surprised isn't really horror in the movie or even a jump scare. Isn't but in no. this, it's sort of like the shadowy figure coming out of the junk and With the white yeah. eye. And yeah, you're like, yeah, R2's right to be scared. Mm-hmm. I like R2's top literally coming off as just like, that's how yeah. scared R2 is. Yeah, that doesn't happen in the movie, but like, that's how R2's reacting to the situation. They are doing a good job of doing the thing, once again, and that's the expressionistic thing we've been talking about of, okay, it's not a movie I can't see things in motion or, or actually hear the sound, so we're going to take some license to, to do the do the drawings and renders of these characters a little bit more extreme to put you in the emotional state yeah, of them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we get looks or droids, and we're getting through the movie as, like... and But we're not leaving anything out, which I do appreciate. No, we're, we're moving through all this. Uh, we can kind of run through uh, We get our introduction of Luke and Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. What do you think of the Luke here? Uh, he's very cherubic, mm. right? He's very in a, uh, innocent, which I think once it, that kind of works for the expressionistic nature of this innocent kid. He feels younger than he does in the movie. You know, I mean, here he feels like he could be 13, 14, or he's, you know, 20, 21. And that is definitely a thing in anime and manga as well, is characters being portrayed way younger than they actually are. There are some anime sure. characters and manga characters where it's like, okay, on their little bio it says they're 28, but, like, <laughs> that couldn't be older than 14. For... <laughs> well, how old are the... How old is, uh you know, like, Ash from Pokemon supposed to 10, be? 10, technically, you know... but, like, te- he's been 10 for 20 years. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's what I mean. He always... See, the, 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 that's very much the vibe I'm getting here, too, right? Is It's very... that I think of that as sort of an anime-leading character of being these sort of, like, young, very, you know, angelic-looking, specifically boys. Yeah. Cherubic, I think, is a good way of putting it. Um, yeah. And, yeah, he's got very, very long, kind of, like, uh, sweepy hair. Um, yep. Another trope of the, the medium is that kind of, like, see-through hair, so you can see the eyebrows and the eyes through the hair. Um, well, and that's, I mean, and and, and the, the, the string, it's the same thing with the Leia design, right, too. They love sort of the strings of hair and that come down. I really do think of that as sort of anime hair mm. right there is sort of a it, it's uh and I it's either this or yeah. unnaturally spiky right there's no in between yeah <laughs> that's it exactly yeah uh we got luke. i love all the little insert things if we go to like the next page here where you just see luke's feet on the sand mm. i love all that stuff that just feels like little details of movement and, and things like that that just carry you from, you know, place to place and give you more of a sense of motion. On this next page, is this the kindest Uncle Owen's ever looked? <laughs> uh, I think so, yeah. he just looks like a, a fairly friendly old man in this. And every other adaptation we've seen, he's like some grizzled monster dried out in the desert. Well, he's very, very cartoonish. And by that, I mean like American comic strip cartoonish. Yeah, yeah. Like the little, the little dots for eyes. I'm getting some like Tintin vibes. Yeah, yeah. I know it's not Tintin. American, but. No, no, but yeah, it is. So, but in that way, or, you know. Or like Jim Davis, Garfield. I mean, that kind of thing where it's like, it's very simple little circles and dots and stuff like that. Uh, and it definitely makes him kind of, I mean, my God, the 70s Marvel book, he's a 
goddamn monster in it. <laughs> yeah, and of course we have like some nice little details here in that aren't really shown off in the movie, but I think this book does a, a pretty good job of highlighting the fact that like 3PO and R2 are like cleaner and shinier than everything else they're looking at here. Yes. Which would make sense because we saw this junk pile of robots inside the, that you know that are in different pieces. Right. And stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, so we're getting... Uh, so they, they get the robots, as always. Mm-hmm. Uh, R4 uh, has a little meltdown, but clearly he's connected to the Force, so that he knows that he must sacrifice himself so that R2 can go along and further of Luke's course. journey. Of course. Yeah. Yes. Lest we Lest forget. Lest uh, uh, Hey, man, R4, though, has made a big comeback. On it's the true, he has. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> I was so He finally glad. got he his finally motivator got unit fixed. Yeah, man. Um, but okay, yeah. And he goes up in this in a way. Once again, the expressionistic nature of this. When he goes up, he goes up <laughs> in this thing. Um, and then talk about cartoonish. That Uncle Owen reaction where they're doing the, the sharp face turn. He's like, what? <laughs> what are you trying to push on us? Yeah. <laughs> uh, not so nice all of a sudden there. All right. So we go back to the uh, to the old homestead. Yeah. 3PO's oil bath. We got Luke cleaning up R2 and 3PO. I like that we get this exterior shot of the uh, the the T16 back home uh, outside the the bath here. Yes, yes, that's nice. It gives you a sense of place, and and of course also links Luke to the piloting mm-hmm. stuff. This um, next page though is where we get I think off. our most interesting addition to this book, which is retroactively adding the the bigs like leaving home stuff, but not as a scene that's happening in the book, but one that Luke is thinking back to. I think this is a super interesting it take. A- it actually is something that I've always talked about, which is just like, if you cut the scene with Biggs at the beginning, when Biggs comes back later, is no impact. Here they've kind of solved that, but yes, not inserting what is objectively an unnecessary scene that does, you know, halt momentum early mm-hmm. on. But here they do, they give you a link to Biggs and, and the importance he has on Luke in this, so that when he comes back later, uh, I'm assuming we're not going to get there <laughs> today, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. Come, no, when he comes back later, yeah, it'll, uh, I just want to bring up the fact, though, that uh, 3PO toweling off is a little disturbing <laughs> to me. Hey, look, he's a, he's a perfectly functional droid who is capable of toweling himself off, John. Would it, it would be weirder if Luke was doing it for him. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I really don't want to see Luke wiping him down. Uh, so uh, yeah, we get uh, we get. Th- this is something that that, that uh, I've never thought of the uh, the projection of Leia on this next page here as being as explosive as presented here. <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit, and the book has uh, some of this going forward. Is a little bit more of those over the top reactions, not necessarily for like expressionistic purposes, but sometimes for comedy purposes. Because if there's one thing they love in manga and anime, it's a good pratfall. Absolutely. And that is definitely something uh, that has... uh, Tone has often been a thing that's kept me out of uh, a a lot of anime in particular. Watching where you're just like, whoa, suddenly things get... They went from very serious to extremely broad. Uh, And that's I think that is just a cultural thing. It's just like, yeah, that would not flip anyone but here he'd be like what (laughs) if there were suddenly pratfalls in the middle of a mission impossible movie he'd be like Mm -hmm. what (laughs) or but over there you know that's totally just the norm someone's saying something awkward that throws another character off of their uh groove makes them literally fall over yes that sort of thing and you even see in the live action it's not just in the it it just is it's a cultural sense of humor Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah. So we get the help me Obi Wan. R two totally fools Luke into removing the uh, restraining bolt as per usual. Uh, Luke being like, "Hey, what's the big deal, you little droid?" Um, old hermit. I'm sure <laughs> Ben Kenobi and Obi Wan Kenobi are not related at all. How could they? Be? <laughs> One's named Ben. Yeah, one's named Obi-Wan, and one is named Ben. Come on, totally different Oh, you guys. mean of the Tatooine Kenobis. Yeah, I know, at least four of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they, uh, 
Okay, so we go through all this. This is all pretty standard stuff. I don't have a whole lot to yeah, say about Yeah, Uncle this. Owen we and Baru about talking about, hey, you got to stay for another season. Uh, Luke being like, oh, yeah. well, I think this these droids will work out. Owen being like, hey, no, I need you to stick around. But then when we get to our next two-page spread, uh, we get the binary sunset, or at least leading up to it. I'll, you know what? I'll, another panel I would happily put up my, on my wall is this. The the once again the and some of this is that the thing about the black and white the ink wash of it and stuff the way they're doing the sunset mm-hmm. here it, it's beautiful in the movie uh, with with the the sort of magic hour lighting of it here and here they make it beautiful using a completely different style yeah, exactly uh, we get Baru's little comments here saying that he's too much of his father in him and Owen responding with that's what I'm afraid of and I think this yeah. book. Why? What happened to his father? <laughs> more than the other adaptations, because again, the special edition is more perfunctory, and the 70s comic didn't mm-hmm. know, but leans on the dramatic nature of that line in retrospect, once we know who his yeah. father is. Well, and, you know, matching it here, overlaying the dialogue on top yeah. of this feeling of Luke, that in the movie is this silent moment with this gorgeous John Williams score... Uh, of 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 the guy of the man yearning for adventure, and then Owen, you know, that being the reflection of, well, that's what happened to Anakin, mm-hmm. and we know what happened to him, or do we? I'm sorry, this is no spoilers. I don't know what happened to who's right. Anakin. Uh, <laughs> but on the next page, we uh, we get we, more flashbacks. Yeah. So the idea that while Luke is standing there looking at the twin sunset, he's thinking. Like, in the movie, it's just that image of him looking off into the sunset, and that is that yearning for adventure. Whereas in this... It could be anything, yeah. right? And yeah. in this, and in maybe even, like, a good novelization, we have this moment mm-hmm. coupled with internal monologue of him literally thinking of the guy saying, I'm going off on an adventure. Right, right. It's literally not only... I'm looking for specifically the adventure that my friend is going on like like i i'm 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 and i'm not only yearning for this but i actually have this example of the guy who escaped because i mean that's the whole thing about why luke is such a relatable protagonist right we all can relate to being like i wish i was part of a bigger world in some way right it's like i want to escape my home i mean that's george lucas very much it's one of the reasons it's it's some of the best lucas stuff is because he's actually writing a personal thing Mm -hmm. about being in a small town and wanting to be part of a bigger world and a more exciting world and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just, I really like how they intertwine the, the cut big stuff into this adaptation. I think it was very clever and well it's done. It's really good. And also using it, uh, all uh, written narration as opposed to word bubbles, making it that sort of memory mm-hmm. that is the case. And, and, and yeah, it's almost the thing where you're, you're almost going like, man, I don't think Lucas would have thought about this, but you probably could have found a way to do something like this in the movie if you were desperately trying to figure out how to get those big scenes yeah. in there. I don't think you need to. It's not a, It's not an actual thing, but it, it's an interesting, like, oh, there's an idea of how to put bigs in there. Yeah. More. Uh, we get Luke coming back into the homestead, realizing R2 has gone. Uh, we have him looking around, being like, that's not safe to go out at night. Um, again, th- another ungodly terrifying three <laughs> and kind of like panicking being like i told him not to go yeah but the, the way that the lights coming off of his eyes and the he's like God! Mm-hmm. uh so we get to something that is another addition to this comic that i found extremely interesting and they do it twice in the issues we're going to be covering and that is adding uh, dramatic irony to this book that isn't in the movie because we cut now yeah. from this starfield back to the sand crawler, which is not a thing that happens in the movie. And then on the next page, in any version, this isn't like a cut scene or anything either. Is no, it? I don't. I don't know from anything other than this. We have this bright flash as a flare is going off in the hands of a stormtrooper, and we get revealed. It looks. So cool, and it would in no way fit with the visual style of A New uh-huh. Hope, but it as a concept in a Star Wars story of just the the igniting of a flare and the 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 troop, you know, the squad of troopers. Yeah, so we so we cool. get this reveal of a bunch of troopers on Dewback, uh, like attacking the the Sandcrawler, which is implied in the movie, wanna, but to like dramatic irony, like show that of the stormtroopers showing up and well, blowing up the, the Sandcrawler is really cool. 
and it's so effectively done here where you see the 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 light up of the troopers and then the terrified expression and then just the the still image of the burning sand crawler from like from way yeah. back and it's just we don't see any of it it's just like yeah they just destroyed him man they had no yeah. chance no it's really good it's one of those scenes that like really i never cool. thought i needed until i read this adaptation of just like oh yeah and the, and the stormtroopers of- destroy the sand color we all know that happens yeah and that's the thing where it's like nobody ever thought to put that in it's not that's this is a totally original idea of this and yeah i was also very struck by like how cool and Using their own, like I said, it, it, that lighting stuff wouldn't make any sense in the movie we know of as a new mm, hope. Mm-hmm. But in this, it's so cool. Uh, and I, and I, I uh, look, if and when they ever give me a Star Wars movie, when that shows up in it, you'll know that I stole it from this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also appreciate the, the slight distance in the panel gutters at the bottom of this page, implying that yeah. more time is passing. Yes, that's something also that's very smart in terms of this. And also that it cuts to this, and then it cuts back to uh, Uncle Owen and Brew. It's it's going. Uh, it, it would be weird if this went to the next page and it was immediately still the land speed. You'd be like, why did that start there? But it goes. It's like a scene cut, and then back to another thing, and then we're going back and yeah. forth. So we get Luke Alf on his, his land speeder going off to try, try to find R two. We get a brief bit of the Tuscan Raider up on the ridge kind of aiming at him. We get that brief interaction between the two Tuscans, which is like, no, 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 we'll get this kid. Don't worry. It's all very cool. We get a single word, which is a reonk, mm-hmm. and then just a question mark exclamation point. And yet I understand what they're saying. Yeah, and later, much, much, much later, we'll establish that the Tuscan Raiders in The Mandalorian have this whole sign language thing worked out, which kind of plays into that here. Yep. Boy, talk about the the Mandalorian is doing nothing but redeeming characters and things from uh, a new absolutely. <laughs> uh, so eventually, we do uh, find R two. Uh oh, they're sand people. We're just gonna brush over the fact that they're still calling them sand people. Um, <laughs> I mean, they're being true to the sure. movie. Uh, and then Luke is attacked by uh, a Tuscan Raider. Here we get this awesome amounts of just like big slam with the gaffy stick. Uh, we get Luke's rifle cool. being chopped in half by this guy that is not in the movie and i like that that's also very cool there's just so much more like visceral nature to Mm -hmm. this right like the just like they 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 break things a little bit more stuff explodes a little bigger it's it is making the the cartoonified version of this that really works on the page totally uh we uh, have Luke unconscious, the Tuscan Raiders. Thuds, when he thuds the ground, it's like, Jesus. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, they're not gentle with Luke Skywalker in this moment. No, they are not. They are not. That kid got beat to shit, man. Uh, so they, yeah. Uh, and then we get the, ow! Yeah. Ow, ow! It is the whatever noise that Obi-Wan makes that scares away the Tuscan Raiders. Because it's changed a few times now. Yeah, and it I, I I've come to learn there's just no good way to to, to put it into letters. No, is there? no. It really is like a gutter, like in the movie. It's not like a thing you can really put it, syllables. It depends to. which movie you're watching, which version of it. Well, that's also that's also true because <laughs> that has that has actually changed in the cuts of the movie. Yes. yes. Um, uh, all I know is Alec Guinness probably didn't make any noise. Right. In uh, we get a, a... I, I'm Sir Alec Guinness, George. I'm not making a silly... Hey, everybody. Editor Mike here from the distant future. Thanks to podcast time travel, I can look back at this episode and see that there's a solid 20 minutes of my audio missing. So, rather than subject you to a one-sided conversation in which you're only hearing the dulcet sounds of John Campbell, I have just gone ahead and sliced out a pretty decent sized chunk of this episode so i apologize but what you're about to hear now is a hard cut to near the end of this episode uh you will see something very similar uh reflected in the youtube version of this so i apologize but due to some technical difficulties we lost a whole side of the conversation here but you get the idea here that john is way more acclimated to the manga adaptation than we had previously thought possible. So this episode, which was intended to be a coverage of the entire book, ends up being split into our more traditional uh, issue-by-issue coverage of the manga adaptation. So I'm going to 
drop you back in here at the end of the episode as we wrap up our conversation. But I'm sorry that we're missing a chunk of this, but you'll be sure to be getting the next three issues of this MOG adaptation in the coming weeks. Thanks, everybody. Back to past, present, Mike and John. For sure. I mean, I... I... I was going to say, I, I, I'm more drawn to the, the thing about Adam Warren. And once again, no slight on, I don't want, you know, once again, but it is just like what, what, once again, that cover and stuff like that, it's more manga than manga. You know, it's that thing where it's like when you're trying to, um, uh, uh, you know, reference something, you end up becoming an even bigger, you turn it into the bigger stereotype of it in some ways, right? It's so uh, that it start that like, I'm more impressed by the art in the book. I think the cover to me does a disservice as it really turns me off of going like, oh my God, that's the most manga thing I've ever seen to when you actually open this up and you go, wow, look at how cool this is. Like the cover to me embraces a lot of the stuff that turns me off about manga when the actual interiors are, I think, so well rendered for the most part, minus a couple of things that I pointed out uh, for me. Um, So that's, that's my only point about it is I feel like this does a disservice to people who might have otherwise picked up a Star Wars thing to see an interpretation just going like oh god what is this <laughs> yeah uh, not sure uh, I, I think it is more of a litmus test thing for me where it's just like maybe it should be a little bit more like more manga than manga just to be like look you gotta know what you're getting right up front or else sure. you, you'll, you're gonna be well uh, I mean I've never picked this up until now and I was pretty impressed with this as once again particularly as something that is referencing the thing I know that we've seen other versions of it's 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 an interesting translation that has a take and a style which yeah. we've been missing from the other versions Totally. I'm really glad you enjoyed this, John. Not going to lie. I was not sure how you were going to respond to this book. Well, I mean, it, you know, I, it, 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 it's, it's still playing on something I know, so it's, it's a, there's a familiarity to it. But like I said, because it's so familiar, I think it, it, it makes me more interested in the experimental nature of it or more interested in, like, I want to see a more uh, vivid take on it. Mm-hmm. As opposed to just being the thing that I, because I always, that's always the thing I come back to with the adaptations, whether that be the novelizations of movies or comic book adaptations, always just like, yeah, but I could just watch the movie. Why am I doing, beyond like the covers of stuff or just seeing individual, you know, drawings of scenes, you know, it, 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 it always kind of, to, once again, I, I, clearly there are people who enjoy them because they keep making them, but <laughs> sure. it's always just a thing to me where it's like, I remember having the Batman 89 adaptation comic book but it, and it was cool but it was just a thing that kind of sat on my shelf because i could just put in my copy of batman 89 and watch it sure no and i think clearly yeah our initial intent was to cover the first two issues here but we've had so much to say that well, maybe bringing this up more sequentially the reason we did this is because of we did the individual 97 we were going well there really wasn't much here to talk about here there actually is something to talk about uh in reverse we should have uh, in retrospect, we should have done that all as one episode. We could have easily done all four of those as one episode, no question. Yeah. Whereas here, there actually is interesting stuff to dig into and uh, choices to examine and go, oh, why have they done this? Oh, I like... That's the thing about this is I do like seeing they've made a choice and I and we can actually discuss, oh, why did they do that? What does that say? How does that influence the story? Mm. Whereas the other one is just like, uh, well, you've drawn uh, some Star Wars. Okay, you know. <laughs> yeah. so yeah i'm i will we'll we'll devote our, our next uh, few episodes to this and also I'm these are long to these are like 65 page you know issues 80 well they're 80 on the thing i mean not including the that's true not including the intro part. pages and stuff yeah but yeah they're you know they're in the they're in the 70 ish range yeah for right. sure so yeah like three times the size of an american issue yeah 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 um and so yeah we we, we, you know this was a test i guess in some ways we thought we would blaze through it and then we ended up stopping more than uh yeah and that was sort of what i was saying too because initially we talked about the idea of and here's just inside baseball folks uh uh and by the way i mean the complete opposite of baseball which is talking about star wars comic books um but uh, (laughs) that's the exact opposite of athletics Um, have trading cards this is true. And actually, that's always a fascinating thing to me is the, the nerd mindset for fans of both is actually pretty similar. But uh, but uh, when we were talking about this, we were the initial idea was, let's just pull out individual things. And that's why I texted you the other day as I was reading this. I'm going, I, I was going to pull out too many. I was writing down like this page. Is, and then I realized like this is going to be end up being the whole goddamn thing anyway because right. I'm pretty fascinated <laughs> by all these renderings of characters and stuff. So 
so there you go. I'm really excited to talk next issue then because we'll get to Han Solo. We will get to Chewie. We'll get our Cantina sequence. Um, I, mean, I that's think there's some interesting in- differences and uh, like hewing to the original in interesting ways. Yeah, I'm very excited to see you know their take on Han and Chewie and all that stuff because I do think this also shows a lot of restraint in going like, well, we don't want to just jam in all the popular because I do think sometimes the the place of where it gets like, well, we can't have an issue one without Han and Chewie being in it. People want that, you know. But they did. They did, and 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 it it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, yeah. We talk about like where it chooses to cut off. I think this is a really thematically interesting. Uh, like act part one of a four part story is like totally. this is when we're hitting our low point of everything's being destroyed uh, in terms yeah, of like, Luke's parents no, and Leia being tortured. It's really good. I think this makes a lot of sense to end it here, and we've talked about some of the baffling choices made in the other adaptations. So totally. All right. Well, so next week we'll be back with issue two of the Star Wars manga uh, adaptation of A New Hope, specifically. Can't wait. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, uh, best way to help support the show is uh, subscribing over on YouTube. You can watch along with us as we're reading through. And like, yeah, yeah, if you're watching on the YouTube, we can show off those big two double page spreads that are so cool and I found so engaging. Absolutely. Yeah, there's there's some really incredible art in here. Uh, and of course, uh, the other way to support the show financially is to go over to our patron page, which is oh, yeah. patron.podbean.com slash punch up. Probably is the uh, best way to support the show is financially. Well, depends. <laughs> this helps too. Don't believe me. Those subscriber counts help us. You know, we're, we're trying to get monetized on here as well. Uh, we want money no matter what. This is a... <laughs> I'll take whatever money we can get. We'll talk about anything, man. Uh... <laughs> Uh, and yeah, but no, it's anyway, you can go over there and get cool exclusive bonus content from this and all the the shows on the Punch-Up Entertainment Network. Absolutely. And also make sure you subscribe to those shows as well. The Action Shelf, Material Components, Campbell and Jones Meet the Monsters. All that stuff is, is here on our YouTube channel as well as uh, on whatever podcasting software you use. Absolutely. Uh, and of course, this has been May the Panel Be With You. As always, I have been Mike Gargoni. I'm John Campbell. And remember, may the panel be with you.